0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 12-14. through And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. So David went, he brought the ark of God from the house of Obedeeam to the city of David, rejoicing. And those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, and he, King David, sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Now, do kings make sacrifices in the Bible? No, that's for the priests to do. And David, the king of Israel, is making the sacrifice. He's cutting up the animal and getting his hands dirty with blood. The king is also acting as a priest. That's something to to watch. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and he was girded in a linen ephod. Who wears a linen ephod? Not a king priest does. Jesus had on a linen ephod in his passion. He stripped down at the last supper and just put a towel around him, remember? And then the guards uh, cast lots for his ephod because it was woven in one piece and they didn't want to tear it. And so that fulfilled Psalm 22, that for my garment, they will cast lots. Jesus was a priest and Jesus was a king. Pilate says, are you the king? of the jews to jesus and jesus says my kingdom's not of this world well if my kingdom were of this world my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the jewish authorities but as it is my kingdom is not from here so you are a king says pilate you say that i am and pilate had it written on the cross in aramaic latin and greek king of the Jews. So Jesus is a king. Jesus is a priest. Jesus's blood sacrifice is the only sacrifice that will be acceptable to the Father for all humanity for all time. He's tired of goats and lambs and rams and cows. He, this is the only blood that's going to do it. Jesus is a forever new covenant high priest, the victim and the priest, the blood and the priest that offers the blood, and it's in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, David too was a priest. David too was a king. David danced before the Lord in his linen ephod. Uh- and he brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the horn. He is overcome with praise before the true presence of God in the ark. He's singing and dancing. This is not kingly behavior. He has stripped down to an ephod, and, he, and he's basically making a fool of himself for the Lord. Uh, he's dancing unabashedly before the Lord. This is another artist's representation of it, stripping down to an ephod and just dancing unabashedly before the Lord. And Mikhail, his first wife, it's Saul's daughter. She looked through a window and she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. David returned to bless his household. That's a priestly duty to bless the household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, his wife came out to meet David. And she said, Oh, how glorious was the King of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Mikael was disgusted with King David's very unkingly behavior David said to Mikael, it was before the Lord which chose me before the father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel therefore I will play before the Lord and yet I will be more vile than this and I will base in mine own sight and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of of them shall I be had in honor basically he's saying to her you ain't seen nothing yet (laughs) (laughs) because I will praise the Lord, lady. I will dance before the Lord. I will praise my God. David and the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. The Lord God sealed her womb because she was trying to diminish David praising the Lord and being a priest as well as the king of Israel. Now neither king David nor king Jesus are in the priestly levitical line. They come from the line of Judah, Jacob's fourth son, through Tamar, which we'll study, but uh king David and Yeshua, Jesus, are both from the Lion of Judah. That is not Levi. Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, and the Lamb of God. All those titles fit him. He has a universal kingdom. It starts right here on earth through the universal Catholic Church, and it never, ever, 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 ever ends. Just as Gabriel told Mary, it would be a forever kingdom and her son would be on David's throne. Jesus taught them for three and a half years. And the extra 40 days, he filled them with the Holy Spirit. And when they were full of the Holy Spirit, ordained by Christ and the Holy Spirit into this new priesthood, they would preach, they would teach, they would heal, and they would forgive sin. 3,000 are baptized on that very first day. That's 250 for each of the 12 apostles. Though that was was a lot of baptizing to do, they're going to need more priests, right? Because this is dynamite with the Holy Spirit, and it's spreading fast. It's spreading quickly. They need more priests. St. Paul will become a Catholic priest. People don't know that. St. Paul is a Catholic priest. He's not one of the original 12 apostles, but he became a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is not a Levite. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, not even a Judahite. He's from Benjamin, and he will become a Catholic priest, and they're going to need deacons. They're going to need deacons. It says in Acts 6 that the 12, the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of god to serve tables therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the holy spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to duty the apostles have to be the ones to appoint them to duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word these they set before the apostles and they prayed and what did they do they ordained them they laid hands on them that's ordination and the word of god continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What priests? The Levitical priests. That's who he's talking about. A great many of the Levitical priests became obedient to the Catholic faith, the new faith. Let's talk about the call of Abram. The Lord God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and him who curses you i will curse and by all the families of the earth shall bless themselves so we're hearing a lot in genesis about blessings and curses and we don't really talk that way anymore but in the old testament you have to follow the blessings and avoid the curses and there's blessings and curses blessings and curses if you are obedient the obedience of faith if you're obedient obedience brings blessing. If you're disobedient, that brings curses. Jesus himself said, blessed are they who hear the word of God and obey it. The obedience obedience of faith. You hear and obey, you'll be blessed. What has God blessed so far in Genesis? He's blessed on day five. The first thing he blessed was the swarms of living creature in the waters and the birds of the air. He blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. He blessed the humans. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. He blessed the Sabbath. He sanctified it and made it holy. He blessed the humans again, In the recreation in Genesis 5, male and female, he blessed them. God blessed Noah and his sons and blessed by the Lord, my God, be Shem. Shem is where our blessing left off. I will bless you, Abram. I will make you a blessing. So in the Old Testament, you follow the line of blessings. You follow the line that has the blessing. This is coming from Shem to Terah, who's Abraham's father, to Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and this is the line of Jesus Christ. We call these early guys the patriarchs. Blessing brings Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings curse. What are some of the curses we've seen so far? The very first curse in the Bible is to Satan. Cursed above are you above all. The second curse is the ground, Adam. He doesn't curse Adam, but he curses the ground because of you, Adam. And Cain gets a double dose because Cain is cursed from the cursed ground. And he's banished further east. And they all so we know east is not is further from God. East is not the direction you want to go. Third named son of Adam and Eve is Seth. He gets the blessing from Seth's lineage will come Noah. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, God has brought relief. Merciful God lets them begin again, a recreation. And God says, I will never curse the ground because of man. Because the imagination of man's heart is evil from youth. God understands fallen man. Right away, Noah gets drunk. Ham uncovers his father's nakedness. And the fruit of that uh, maternal incestual relationship is cursed. And that child's name is Canaan and Noah cursed the fruit of uh, Ham's maternal incest. That will be Noah's grandson. Cana is cursed. Mrs. Noah is used; she's objectified for Ham's power play during her father's drunken, his her husband's drunken episode. So blessings and curses just be aware of them watch where they're coming from the father only wanted to bless us he wanted to give us every good and perfect gift but now that we have chosen to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil fallen humanity will know both good and evil both blessings and curses all humanity after babel speaking the same language one language of human fallenness and man decides he can be his own god eden was the city of god babel will be the city of men god God in his mercy is going, it's called Babel because it means confound or confusion. God is going to confuse the language of man to slow him down so he doesn't self-destruct. It's kind of merciful that God separated them. We think we can survive without God, but God knows we can't. The next breath we take, he's the author of life. So he introduces confusion to the language and scatters humankind around the face of the earth and Abram goes to Ur and the Lord God has now called Abram from his country and his kindred and his father's house to a land that God will show him. He's going to make his name great and he's going to bless him. So he's in the line of Shem and Shem has the blessing. And if you look at a chart, if you draw it out, Shem, Noah's son, Shem is actually going to outlive Abram which is interesting and we'll talk about that we know also that Abram is related to Sarah Sarai they both have the same father Terah Sarai has a different mother but they have the same father and Lot is their nephew. They don't have any children, but Lot is their nephew. And so this Shem's blessing is coming through the line of Abraham now. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. He's obedient and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75, just a spring chicken, when he departed (laughs) from Haran. and. Abram took Sarai his beautiful wife and Lot and his brothers and all their possessions which they had gathered and the persons that they had gotten in Haran and they set forth to go to the land of where Canaan is that a good place It will be when God purifies it but right now Canaan is the son with the curse the son of Ham's maternal incest, Canaan. And it's occupied by Canaan and his people. That's what we know about the land of Canaan. It's not a good place right now. Canaan has been cursed. And so Abram passes through the land. He doesn't stay there. He passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So he first comes to Shechem, And God confirms, I am going to give you that land. It's going to take a while to get that land many, many hundred years to get that land because they're going to be in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. But God promises you're going to get that land one day. This is Shechem. It's right in the middle of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. You might remember these, the blessings and curses in Deuteronomy. They shout blessings from Mount Gerizim and curses from Mount Ebal and all the people in Shechem reply, amen. It's like a natural amphitheater. Uh, Abram's grandson Jacob will settle in Shechem. He will dig a well there. It's called Jacob's Well. It's still an operating well to this very day. It's where Jesus met the Samaritan woman at Jacob's Well. And she said, our fathers worship on Mount Gerizim. And, but you say that Jerusalem is the place people ought to worship. So the Samaritans still, to this day, worship on Mount Gerizim. This is in 1900. They were they were there, but they're still there today. They gather on the top of Gerizim. This is a recent Passover picture at the top of Gerizim. It's on the West Bank. And so you have Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, and Shechem in the middle. A lot of stuff happens at Shechem. Abram has built an altar there, but... Uh, Joshua when they come into the promised land finally they will stand half and half and they will shout the blessings and curses back and forth. The patriarch Joseph will be buried in Shechem. I've been to his tomb a few times. It's always a place of contention. It's in the West Bank. It's 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 a little dicey. Dinah, the daughter of Jacob was raped in Shechem. You'll hear about that in Genesis 34. So Abram's passing through the place of Shechem. He does build an altar. The Lord reaffirms the promise to your descendants. I will give that land. Jacob builds the altar. Uh, he moves to the mountain on the east of Bethel. He pitches his tent there. And with Bethel at the west and I am the east, he builds another altar to the Lord. He is claiming this territory for his God because there are pagan gods now all around. And he's saying he's he's building altars and worshiping his God. But then a famine comes up and it's a severe famine. So they must sojourn to Egypt where the only food is. And when they were about to enter Egypt, Abram said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful to behold. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they'll kill me because they will let you live. So he's really thinking about her, isn't he? He's looking out for number one. He's looking out for himself you say that you're my sister and it'll all go well with me because of you and that my life will be spared on account of you so when abram entered egypt the egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful sarai was very beautiful and the princess of pharaoh saw her and they praised her to pharaoh and the woman was taken into pharaoh's house and for her sarai's sake he pharaoh dealt well with abram and he abram had sheep Oxen, he asses, men servants, maid servants, she asses, and camels. Abram and Sarai were sojourners in Egypt, and and. Uh that means they were aliens in the land. And remember, we have a language barrier from Babylon. So they don't speak Egyptian and they don't speak Hebrew. So they don't understand each other. But everyone understands the beauty of Sarai. That's a language we all can understand. The Egyptians think that sojourners are disposable. They would often kill husbands for their wives, for the reproductive. The wives have wombs and they can reproduce more Egyptians. And it was a time of great famine. And a lot of people were coming to Egypt for food. So it, Abram really is afraid of death, Uh, his fear, he's, he's afraid of being killed, and this is a real fear, so say that you're my sister, and it'll go well, and then we start hearing her called the woman was beautiful, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, so all of a sudden, she doesn't have a name anymore, Sarai, she's just the woman, what's that? That's a bit of objectification again, because man and woman used to be total equals. But since the fall, your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. You're going to be objectified and dominated by men. So we're seeing a little bit of that in the fallen humanity. Abram was handsomely paid for selling out Sarai to Pharaoh. He got sheep, he got oxen, he got he asses, men servants, maid servants. So yes, by the way, one of the maid servants' name was Hagar. Oh yeah. We'll hear about her later. And he got she-asses and camels. But God does not approve of the objectification of women. And God protected Sarai. And God afflicted Pharaoh's house with a great host of plagues because of Sarai. And so Abram was passive. He accepts what happens. Just like Adam, he could have stepped forward and laid down his life for his wife. Adam did not do that for Eve. Abram will not lay down his own life for his bride, Sarai. They could have trusted God, but took matters into their own hands a bit. But this is how God will teach them over time, just like he does with us. Um, Pharaoh is outraged. He says to Abram, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? Did he lie? She is his sister, right? His half sister, remember? Uh, here's your wife, take her, be gone. He doesn't want the plague. He knows it's, it's, it, and he sends them on their way with all those gifts. And uh, it's a little bit, it, it is a miracle how God provides and takes care of them as a little God wink to both of them. The Sarai is spared probably before the Pharaoh um, has anything to do with her. And Abram gets more material wealth for their future survival. So, but there is consequences always. And now they have beautiful Hagar the Egyptian as part of their little happy family. The couple is learning how to trust God. God is doing the teaching. Abraham's wealth is flourishing. He continues to build altars to worship God. And like all of us, he's a work in progress. His faith is growing. Now it comes time, uh, they go up from Egypt and he and his wife have Lot with them. They go into the Negeb, and Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and gold. Silver and gold had come from Egypt as well. And their flocks are just multiplying and prospering greatly. And uh, they have so many livestock that they can- the land cannot support both of them. And so Abram says to his nephew Lot, he does not like the strife between their herdsmen. We're kinsmen, we're family. And, and he says, why don't we divide? Let there be no strife between our herdsmen. And so they separate. He said, let's separate. If you take left, I'll go right. If you take right, I'll go left. He's very agreeable and he gives the choice to Lot his younger nephew. And you would think the younger nephew would say, oh, no, 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 Uncle Abraham, you've done everything. You you take the best land. But Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. And it was well watered like the garden of the Lord. And And he chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And guess what direction that was? Lot journeyed east. And get what? guess what else was there? The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which we'll hear about in Genesis 19. So when we go east, we're moving further from the Lord. So they uh, separate there and the men of Sodom are wicked already. They're great sinners against the Lord. But the Lord says to Abraham, you look up and see. See it every direction: south, north, south, east, west. I'm going to give you all the land. I give you all that you'll see for your offspring. For how long? Forever. Your offspring are going to be as numerous as the dust on the earth. Sarai is sterile. She's barren. They have no children. He said, "All the dust on the face of the earth, if you could count it, that's how many kids you're going to have." Arise, walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I give it to you. He's wanting Abram to walk the length and breadth of the land. He's surveying it. They don't get it yet. It's occupied with Canaanites. They don't get it yet. He has only 318 men. There's no way they can take this land yet, but God is showing it to him. They go to the Oaks of Mamre. He builds another altar. That's the third altar so far tonight, and then we get into a fight. There's a a war raging. I'm just summarizing it. It's between five kings and four kings, four against five The kings from Sodom and Gomorrah are falling into the tar pits. Some of them are falling in into the tar and they're not able to get out. They capture Lot. Lot and his whole family get captured. The son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and all his possessions, they capture Lot and his family and take them away. A messenger comes to to, uh, Abram the Hebrew. He's first called the Hebrew here and tells them that your your nephew has been captured. Abram, this time is he passive? No, he's willing to maybe risk his own life. He takes 318 of his men and he goes to fight to try to save his kinsman Lot and his possessions. Possessions and he does. So Abram has a great big rescue mission, a big victory. He is not passive this time. He's very active. He's not just looking out for himself. He looks out for his nephew. It's heroic virtue. 318 men going against nine kings. So he rescues Lot and gets him out of there. He's returning from that battle in the King's Valley and he meets Melchizedek, king of Salem. He brings out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. It's the first time we've heard the word priest in the, in the Bible. And it's Melchizedek. And the greater always blesses the lesser. And what happens? He, Melchizedek, blesses Abram. So he's greater than Abram, the father of our faith. He's blessed by Abram, by God. Blessed be Abram, by God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he doesn't do a blood sacrifice. He does bread and wine. It's a toda later in the Bible. It's a toda a, a sacrifice uh, of thanksgiving. In Greek, you call it a Eucharist. Hmm, interesting. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brings out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. David is told the Lord has sworn he will not change his mind. You are a priest after the order of Melchizedek in Genesis 14. So this mysterious Melchizedek, a type of Christ, Christ being the anti-type, the greater, far greater, but it's his priesthood. God, in his mind's eye, already had this priesthood in mind, knowing that Jesus wouldn't be a Levitical priest. He's not from the house of Levi. He's from Judah. Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of, Levi? No. Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Hebrews 7.1 One might say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. The Levitical priest hasn't even happened yet because Levi is one of the sons of Jacob who is a great, great grandson of Abraham. It's in his loin. It's a twinkle in his father's eye. Levi hasn't been born yet. And what about the Levitical priest? The temple of God what happened to the temple in 70 AD? It was totally destroyed. Has it ever been rebuilt? No. Are there animal sacrifices going on? No. They have not left one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation, says Jesus Christ. And this is what it looks like if you go there today. That's what's left of the temple. Are there blood sacrifices going on? No. Is Torah being done? No. No more blood sacrifices. No more temple. No more Levitical priesthood. The priesthood now is in the order of Melchizedek. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the named after the order Aaron? Abram gives a tenth of everything he's got to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is that great priest of God most high that Abram would give a tenth, a tithe. I have lifted my hands to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal of anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. He gives, he tithes to Melchizedek, mysterious Melchizedek, who brings out a toda, a eucharist, a bread and wine, thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, tonight for introducing us to Melchizedek, the King of Salem, the Prince of Peace. And we we thank you that in your mind's eye, before the beginning of time, you had this priesthood in mind for your people, for the remission of our Mm -hmm. sins, and for the sacrifice, the unbloodied sacrifice on the altar that we enter into when we go to Mass. We thank you for our priests. We pray for them. We ask you to strengthen them. We ask you to make them holy and strong. We thank you for the sacraments they give us. And we praise you, Lord, for this holy priesthood. And we pray, Our Lady, to watch over our priest. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 12 through 14, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.